Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everyone feeling? My eyes were burning during worship because I was crying so much. Like, I was so wrecked. I was absolutely wrecked. Thanks, Kaylee. Actually, thanks, Holy Spirit. All right, so we've made it, church. We've made it. Ryan is actually coming home off sabbatical next Sunday to close out this series we've been walking through called Wandering Home. Um, We've been journeying through this series uh, for a greater part of two months Um, Just looking at the idea of faith as allegiance through the lens of the first disciples and apostles. I'll just introduce myself first, actually. My name is Jonathan Hodges, for those of you who don't know me. All right. Awesome. You know, and I believe we've survived the last month well. Even with Ryan out, we've had a few people come in and preach the word. And my wife and I have been so blessed to just process the ways The message has stirred, just stirred a hunger in us to grow together in our faith in Jesus. And it's it's just been beautiful to kind of just process these things and the way that this has provoked our faith just to grow together. And the honest reality is, is as we continue to say yes and build our understanding of the God revealed in Jesus, we're bound to experience challenge or destabilization. In fact, we can anticipate it, a deeper sense of challenge, when we decide to grow, to dive deeper, because the patterns of this world naturally confront the Jesus way. God understands this. This is firstly why we have the cross, but also secondly, why we have church community. So we're learning as a church through this series, Wandering Home, that faith as allegiance or faith as loyalty to the sovereign reign and rule of Jesus helps us gain clarity and peace in the midst of a world of confusion and uncertainty. And I'm convinced that brutal honesty around the table of the beloved in our community groups, in the family of believers, is central to our spiritual growth in Christ. And I think back to Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel in the Gospel of John, where Jesus receives Nathaniel's brutal honesty of what good can come from Nazareth with here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Finally, Jesus says, honesty from my people. Brutal honesty and openness about where we're at with God in the vehicle of church community or in Christ, as Paul would say it, promises to awaken the Spirit's work in our life. The Spirit promises to help us perceive the new thing that God is doing in His Son and the ways the Lord is shaping us as a people who choose to run after Jesus, loving God for who he truly is, and loving the world around us. Pretty simple, right? Wrong. (laughs) Because we're complicated. We're cynical. 
We're a bit naive at times and confused. And that's what we've seen throughout this series by looking at some of the first disciples and apostles. And it's worth summarizing where we've come from in this series. We first looked at Peter, and this disciple failed about in the presence of Jesus and got lost in wanting to do so much for God because he wanted to simply leave a good impression. You know, and faith is not about doing for Christ as much as it's about living with him in his presence, seeking him in all things. And then we looked at Saul, the beginnings of the Apostle Paul, that he was clinging so religiously to a preferred outcome that he assumed a posture of rivalry, a posture of me versus the world or us versus them. And he forfeited the practice of listening and perceiving what God was doing right in front of him. And he needed a better part of 20 years to reorient himself in the desert of Arabia to the truth that comes from living with a cross-shaped perspective in his relationship and not by human standards. How many times do we need to be reminded that seeing the world around us through the lens of the cross of Christ is so primary to our spiritual journey? And then Jenna came in with the life of Judas. And we learned how spiritual warfare was very much a part of his reality, and by extension, ours. And we must resist and not conform to Judas's pattern of following Christ for personal gain that ultimately results in our personal isolation. And as we discern the different voices that mediate our decisions on this spiritual journey, we must get back to the table with God's beloved to test the spirits, to receive counsel, encouragement, and strengthening. No one drifts into spiritual transformation alone. And then we learned from Mary Magdalene that at times, even when we allow ourselves to linger in grief and in disappointment, even at the place of the tomb, despite All of our questions and anxieties and uncertainties, when we bring our whole selves before the human realities of disappointment, death, and dying, and grief, God is not only in the midst as the gardener that helps us grow, but Jesus is Lord over all these things. He is risen, and showing up despite our grief and disappointment helps us not only awaken to the power of the resurrection, but it helps us carry it carry the message unto the world around us. Showing up helps us grow and makes us better. And then last week, Nicole Ponder helped us dig deeper into the ground of what it means to be born again as represented through the heart of Nicodemus. And many of us are looking and longing for a fresh start in this season. You know, the mercies of God are new every morning in the face of Jesus, and sometimes we need to learn how to receive the gift of a fresh start in order to perceive the kingdom of God in our midst. Do you need a fresh start? There's a more tangible stirring of love at work beneath our need for certainty and stability. The longest journey we must take is the 18 inches from our heads to our hearts. 
And it begins with giving ourselves over to the person of Christ to be born again. Do you need a fresh start? And so this morning, we're going to dive deeper, deeper into the collective invitation to locate ourselves in the same story as all these great cloud of witnesses. And more that we and and more of and more of them. So these these great cloud of witness that we learned about in this series so far, and there's more that we're going to read about in the Hebrew scriptures, and sometimes and those whom are lo, no, no longer with us today, the, the people that we think about who has lived their lives devoted to a life of faith and allegiance to Jesus. So my overall statement for today is we like these great cloud of witnesses, have great examples to follow. But today, God is creating something new in the life of his son so we can all reach the wedding banquet together. Will you participate? I just want you to close your eyes and sit in this next, these next few moments with me. Just close your eyes. We've arrived at these beautiful, massive double doors. And as we open them, we inch our way forward to stand in the doorway. We begin to observe the kingdom on the other side of these doors. What do you see? What do you hear? There's vulnerability everywhere, anxiety everywhere, Political fragility, institutional weakness, families are divided, religious and political leaders are failing. Death, disease, and poverty surround us every day, locally and globally. What do you see? What do you hear? Although there is a sense that God is doing something remarkably powerful and beautiful in the unseen places of this kingdom, it's quite another thing to perceive it. Weak things to shame the strong. Foolish things to shame the wise. And heavenly speaking, there's plenty of opportunity to participate in something beautiful, but it's almost impossible to perceive it. So as you stand in this doorway and inch your way forward to take a second look at this kingdom, the possibilities that seem so beautiful in the unseen places moments ago are starting to fade, revealing the complex human realities themselves as more terrifying. In fact, there seems to be a deep, exhaustive groan coming out of this kingdom, one that's crying out for a solution. And excitement and fear rises with equal measure in you, as much as it is in this kingdom. And a voice begins to speak. And this voice is softly telling you to stop inching your way forward. It's whispering quietly, if you walk through these doors, it will cost you. This kingdom you're observing here may disappoint. In fact, it already has. Maybe it's safer to stop inching your way in here. Make other plans. Distance yourself. Think about turning back. There might be no way back if you step through these doors. So you stop. You 
You find contentment and comfort in the reasoning of this voice, and you pivot 90 degrees in the middle of these beautiful doors, this beautiful doorway, and you motion to turn back. couple moments go by and you open your eyes you can open your eyes look around look around and you suddenly notice that you're not alone you're not isolated we're all still standing in this doorway and when I say all there's more that meets the eye in this moment church when I say all, I mean us, yes, in this room. But I also see a great cloud of witnesses, multitudes of people that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing in the presence of who is everything we've deeply longed for. And you tune into another small, still voice whispering, Follow me. Follow me. We're going to dive right into Hebrews 11, all 40 verses. I will not exposit all 40 verses for the sake of time and sanity. But I'm going to read through it because it's a sermon in itself. It's a story in itself. And my prayer is that as we read through it, that the Spirit would highlight maybe some things and maybe press on your heart to go back to it on your own time. And not only that, share it with someone. Share what it is that the Holy Spirit is impressing on you. That's part of the process of what it means to be the family of God. So let's start in verse 1. <laughs> Just gonna take a sip from my water. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes from faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. 
he went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 17. Still with me? All right. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Verse 22. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently, confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts of the, that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. That's outrageous. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, 
Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put all, whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, that they would not reach perfection without us. Come on. Come on. Just take a drink of my water. That's, that's crazy. That's just crazy. I mean, in itself, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. Are we locating ourselves in this story? I mean, we're looking at the idea of faith as allegiance. This is what we're wrapped up in. We've been looking at the individuals, but this is the collective reality from beginning to end. Like from beginning to, you know, from past to present to future. Like this is just incredible. I got through those 40 verses. It was good. So from Abel and Noah, Abraham and Sarah, to other patriarchs and Moses, to monarchs, prophets, Jesus, from Nicodemus to Mary to Peter to the sons of thunder, each early church martyrs, and Paul. This particular letter written by a faithful leader from somewhere in Italy to Jewish believers living in Rome. We know that by the time that this letter was inked, the Jewish world was rather enjoying official Roman recognition and by extension became a temptation to the Messianic Jewish community in Rome. And in fact, being recognized politically or aligning themselves politically with Rome was beginning to represent a much social, a safer and social legal option rather than belonging to a bizarre growing sect that's following a resurrected Messiah, living under constant scrutiny from the surrounding pagan and plural culture. Persecution was now not only being imposed by the religious elite, but also by Rome and the surrounding culture. And this letter was likely penned to remind believers of the bigger and better story that was unfolding in the resurrected Jesus. Despite all the present and future unrest that was coming, by drawing from this hall of faith, these great cloud of witnesses, but not only that, to locate themselves in this story and calling them into a deeper endurance and spiritual maturity. And this extends to us. This extends to us. So this letter to the Hebrews in Rome begins with where it should start, with Christ. 
being the precise expression of what God is like. Greater than angels. He is the heir of all things, divine agent of the created order, the exact imprint of God's glory, the sustainer and redeemer of all things. Christ is supreme, preeminent, ultimate, exalted today. He accomplished the perfect life of selfless sacrifice, deeply familiar with injustice, suffering, betrayal, weakness, giving himself over to death for the sake of his beloved. Now he sits resurrected and enthroned as king of a kingdom, a particular land, and a peculiar people whispering, follow me. The author continues to urge believers to remain steadfast in their allegiance to Jesus as the true high priest, the highest mediator, imploring them not to look for security in the symbols of their national identity, institutions, rival stories, or the unfolding patterns of the surrounding pop culture or the gods of sex and mammon, calling them to root their faith in the unfolding reality, hoping for the things not yet seen in the resurrected Jesus. So Israel's story had experienced a dramatic pivot, namely to overthrow the powers of darkness and to call the nations to worship the one true God. Israel's story always provided the scaffolding, but now it was as if God was beginning to build a new kind of family, a new kind of city, forming a multi-ethnic family of difference, putting the world to right at last in the power and authority of his son. And the identity and vocation of Israel was now not only being extended to other nations and people groups, but it was also being demonstrated by those whom simply gave their allegiance to Jesus. So the author of Hebrew unpacks almost methodically how Israel's story was always looking ahead to something better, a new type of land, a new type of people, a new type of altar, a better sacrifice, a living sacrifice. So many ancient Jewish writers told the story of Israel by highlighting specific moments and individuals that they would locate themselves or their own hearers at the end of the story as participants those who were to carry the new thing forward. So the overarching theme here in Hebrews 11 is faith marked out by one person after another having a faith that was focused on running after the hope of God's covenant promise, a new heaven and a new earth, a new land and a new people. And these specific moments and individuals experienced hope and conviction about the things not yet seen nor received. I know Jonathan is repeating himself a lot. Repetition is really powerful. Jesus repeats himself in so many different ways. So point is, God has the sovereign ability to create new things not yet seen in the resurrected life of his son. Will you participate? Will we participate? Believers, both past and present, have always been running after the ultimate thing. But our earthly realities are only a foretaste to having faith in the one, capital O, resurrected, full-bodied, heavenly reality made available to us the power and presence of Jesus today. 
Orlando, Florida, circa 2006, 15 years ago. There was a group of young people who shared a collective heart to transition out of the suburban megachurch era to revive the mission of the local church through the halls of young ed education, living in an urban context. The Tysons, the Sherrills, the McLarens, the Joneses, the Statins grabbed hold of this opportunity on day one. And I had the privilege of speaking with John Tyson in, prepar in preparation for this sermon and this vehicle called Status was born. And they were given the freedom to use the side room over at Discovery Church. We're on South Orange. And so long as 120 people showed up on that first night. And so they ran with it. And then between 2006 and 2009, there was an awakening of sorts. A growth in number of young people coming into this thing. There's that word again. And in three short years... This vehicle called Status grew to almost 1,200 young adults on fire for everything God was doing in their midst. People came and went, scattered out across the country. Many of those pioneers from day one took the Status model as inspiration and planted new vision and new churches up in New York City. And somewhere around 2012, a new vehicle was born, City Beautiful Church, was formally planted out of this outrageous awakening called Status. Most certainly a move of God, no question. But as time barreled forward, some moved away, pursued common endeavors. Others found spiritual homes in other churches, glory to God. And fast forward to 2016, and I'm certain we all remember the Pulse nightclub shooting here in Orlando, where 49 people lost their lives and 53 more were wounded. And in God's providence, I was present here for the vigil that City Beautiful Church hosted to honor and pray for the victims and their families. And somewhere around the same time, a teaching and a passage of scripture was spoken over this spiritual family, this local church, this vehicle, as it pertained to growing in healthy relationships as God's family. Listen to this word from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 13, verse 7 through 9. Awake, sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire, and I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. And when I reflected back on this word and the 15-year journey from the status of 2006 to the city beautiful of 2012 to the city beautiful of 2020, insert a couple polarizing presidential elections, a global pandemic, a tired but encouraged lead pastor away on sabbatical, and now the remnant of people gathered here in this season, in this time, today, I find myself jumping out of my seat in excitement. One third will be left in it. Family, 
Do we not realize that we've now come back full circle 15 years later to those in this room, you and me, roughly 120 people with a surrounding orbit, City Beautiful Church. And I mean, this discernibly harkens back to the 120 people who waited in the upper room in Jerusalem on Pentecost, fulfilling this word delivered to Israel from the prophet Zechariah. If you can draw an imaginative parallel with creative license to the first 120 people that gathered in the side room over at Discovery Church in South Orange and now to these 120 people gathered here at the Orlando Science Center and what we've been journeying through in this series, when will we be willing to perceive that we're called into this new thing together each and every one of you sitting in these chairs and those who will listen, who are listening to this message on the podcast during the week because they're not here today was fashioned and purposed to participate, to bring oil to this vehicle called local church and move it forward. People who embarked on this faith journey day one may no longer be with us. But today, we're called to see the mission of God come to completion in us. City beautiful. And we're invited to humbly see ourselves as part of the great cloud of witnesses, both past and present, to locate ourselves in the story, to carry the new thing forward, and realize that we stand even closer to the greatest wedding banquet of all time. We're called to be the precise expression of who God is and for the world today. Is that beautiful? They're going to ask the worship family to come back up, collective, squad, whatever we call them. But we're going to head into a time of just personal reflection um, and response. And it's really a call to newness. I mean, a call to faith is a call to the, into the unknown. We don't have it all figured out, but we know who God is in the face of Jesus. And if we press in, and not only that, we don't press in just on our own. We press in together. We gather in small groups. We gather around, you know, the meal during the week just to talk about the things that we're experiencing and how God is moving in our hearts. There's something happening. And we need each other to perceive the new thing God is doing. And it's so much bigger than ourselves. We've read the story of all the great cloud of witnesses and do we locate ourselves in that story? Are we locating ourselves in that story? It's beautiful to even consider that we are included in that story. Listen to the words of Isaiah, of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 19. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. God is fulfilling something better and beautiful in Christ 
so that believers, both past and present, would reach perfection together. Are you locating yourself in this story? Again, repetition. It's needed. We need it. There's going to be a few questions up on the screen. I just want to take, you know, take out your phones. You could bring down the lights a little bit more. Take out your phones. Just look at these. And maybe there's some things that you've heard today that have stirred something in your heart. And you, you know, just need a reminder. I want to go back to this. I want to circle back to this throughout my week. Because I don't want to forget about this. Because this is something God is doing in my heart. And not only that, God is asking me to place this in the body of believers to process these things, to discern through the voices that mediate those things that we're just experiencing and trying to understand. We need each other to bring revelation to these places in our lives so that the body could be shaped, be made radiant, that the bride would be made ready and radiant for the return of her bridegroom. This is the work of sanctification. This is what faith looks like in action. So how are you locating yourself in the mission of God that's unfolding here at City Beautiful? And I know that some of you here aren't connected here and are just here this morning, but where, how are you locating yourself in the mission of God that's unfolding here at your local church? In the family of believers, around the meal, around word and around truth, around the elements, the body and blood, in the Lordship of Jesus, what is the new thing God is asking you to step into? Have you shared this with anyone in this room? If not, why not? What's stopping you? What is keeping you from stepping into the process? Take a few moments to just Ask yourself these questions. Just gonna and as you're asking yourself these questions and thinking through these things and as we move into a time of response my prayer is that God will continue to stir some of the things that you're writing down your phone right now I want you want to intercede this this psalm over us this morning as we move into a time of response Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always 
on you, Jesus. With you at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.